Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. Hey guys, my name is Nathan Ellis, and it's a... Uh... I'm excited to be able to talk to you guys. That still says youth pastor on there, which is awesome. Um, uh, yeah, it's exciting to be able to talk to you guys today, especially on a Father's Day Sunday. Um, I was thinking about opening um, Father's Day Sunday message with the helicopter joke, but I figured it might be over your head. So then I thought about using the pizza joke instead, but my wife told me it was too cheesy. Um, and that's, that's all I have as far as dad jokes go. I've... Um, I'm not too good at dad jokes because I haven't been doing it very long. For those of you who don't know, I got married about three months ago, almost. And um, yeah, woo. And uh, in that, I got not only a wife, but I got a stepson in the form of a five-year-old, almost perfect little child um, named Hanley, who I'm trying very hard over the last three months to totally ruin. Um, To be honest and transparent with you, it's been really hard. I um, entered into the whole thing thinking, like, honestly thinking, I'm going to be really good at this. I just, I was like, I'm going to be an awesome stepdad, Nathan. And I've been so bad, like so bad. It's been very difficult. The whole thing has been hard, Um, but it's been fun. It's been like a fun adventure, a lot of newness, a lot of like new moments for both of us, for all of us involved that we're like, oh, I didn't, never thought I'd have to do this. I love telling the story about the first time that I ever took him to the bathroom. Um, we were, Stephanie and I were dating at the time, so this was a while ago, and um, we were at the movies, we were having family fun night at the movies, and he said, Mama, I gotta go to the bathroom. And in that moment, it's like, you know, like time stopped, and like the music started playing in the background, and I realized, like, this is my moment. Like, he's gotta go to the bathroom, this is, this is, this is what I do. And I said, Mama, don't worry, I got this. I'm like, you're coming with me. And he's like, okay? And so I'm like, I'm going to take my kid to the bathroom. And so we're going, and I realized, like, on the way over there, he's never been to a men's bathroom before. There's a lot of new things that he's about to experience. It's very exciting. So we get in there, and I'm like, son, this is a urinal. And um, he's like, uh, he's very shy, sheepish. If you've never seen him, he's like, uh. I'm like, this is what you pee on. And we're going <laughs> to pee on it like men. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm doing dad things, teaching my kid to pee on urinals. And, and he's like, uh. I'm like, you've got to use the urinal, son. And he's like, I don't want to. I'm like, yes, today is the day that you use the urinal. He's like, okay, fine. So he starts like pulling the pants down to the ankles, you know, because little guys, they don't know like the <laughs> There's like the slide and spray method, and they haven't learned it yet, so fans go to the ankles. And then I realized my mistake. I realized my mistake very quickly when he begins to turn around backwards. <laughs> and he starts backing up to the urinal. <laughs> I was like, Hanley, Hanley, dude, do you have to pee or do you have to poop? He was like, well, I have to poop. And I was like, ah, oh, no, no, no. Like abort mission. Like that's not what this thing is for. And so that got really confusing. I end up getting him into a stall. He sits down, he does his thing. And he's like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, all right, cool. And there's a little bit of a silence. And he goes, wipe me. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, oh, oh, four-year-olds, four-year-olds don't do that? What? I'm like, I literally, I said, 
Today is the day that you learn to do this yourself. <laughs> I talked him through it. We learned how to fold. It took us a couple tries. We learned how to dig. Um, and we washed our hands real good, and we left. And I'm pretty sure Stephanie had to give him a bath later. Um, but it was like a really fun, I love that. It's like this like introduction to like fatherhood and parenthood. And I don't know what I'm doing, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And no, but like we don't know what we're doing. Um, and it's been fun. And there's been a lot of those times. And why do I tell you that? Because it's funny. Um, but also because I think it's important for us to go ahead and establish before we get started today that we as fathers, we as parents are not perfect. A very hard lesson that I continue to learn over and over again. I'm hoping that you guys can agree with me and that I'm not the only one. We're not perfect. We're flawed. We're humans. We mess up. Maybe moms can chime in with me at this point. Like We say some things that we shouldn't say, and we get angry when we probably shouldn't get angry, and we get annoyed. We just get annoyed. We're like, man, just, just go play video games. I'm so annoyed. Like We do the things and say the things that we probably shouldn't do. We're not perfect. We mess up. Um, but God is perfect, right? And God chooses to use human language, human words to describe himself. And the potential problem with that comes when we start to project our own understanding of what those words mean onto his character instead of letting him define himself to us. Because that's what we do. That's what we do with words and with things. Our experiences with something shapes the way that we perceive something, and therefore, it changes how we interact with it. Case in point, bath time. Um, another really fun newness thing for me has been bath time. Uh, we've, you can't really see it too well. Um, I took this picture a couple months ago because I thought it'd make a really good sermon illustration one day. And haha, there it is. Um, this is our bath after Hanley got done. And uh, you, if you can tell, there's like weird stuff going on here. I didn't know that they have so many cool things. If you go to the end of the body wash aisle in Walmart, they have this whole like kids bath time section. They have like cool stuff. So we've got like the little things that turn the water colors. So you can see it's like blue water going on. Um, so every time we have bath time, Hanley gets to pick like which color water he's going to do. And he's really smart. So he's like, um, I would like purple. So I will do red and blue. I'm like, I'm sitting here like, is that what makes, I'm like, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, duh, duh, that's what you do. So he's like making his own, own colors, we've got the bubbles, which is sometimes hand soap, because I forget to get, pick up bubbles from the store, but you make it happen, and we got all the toys, and he, they sell these really cool things, they're these like little crayons for baths, they're supposed to wash off really good, which they do after you scrub them really hard for an hour, um, and so bath time for Hanley, it's really fun, it's fun play time, when he hears bath, what he thinks of is like fun, play, oh, yay, I love baths. He doesn't like it when you pour water on his head, but he likes this part. So when he hears bath, he thinks very, that's very exciting to me. Um, his mom is very different. Um, and I know there's women out there who love like, like, you know, like the bath bombs and the candles and the oils and the salt. Not, not my wife. She, she doesn't like it. She thinks it's annoying. She can't get the water right. She gets hot. She gets sweaty. She can't breathe. It's like she calls it torture. <laughs> um, so when she thinks of bath time, it's very different than what he thinks of as bath time. And then there's me who I just see like I'm busy. Uh, I've got things to do. I don't have time to fill up a bath, sit there in your own stench for a long time and then get out. Like I've got things to do. So to me, bath time is very inconvenient. To Stephanie, it's very uncomfortable. And to Hanley, it's like super cool. So when we say bath time, it means very different things. It's because I have so much 
cool masculine facial hair. That's what it is. Um, and so it means very different things to us. And I think the same thing can be true about the way we see God, but also the way that we, that we see the word father, right? Uh, the word father, the word dad brings out, it elicits very different emotions to different people. To some people, when they hear the word father, they have thoughts of the words like, like caring, loving, supportive, protective, nurturing, but to other people, when they hear the word father, they're hearing words like abusive or neglectful or absent or harsh or judgmental, very like negative connotations to that word. So when God calls himself our heavenly father, and he uses that term to describe himself, I think it's very important that we are careful that we're not projecting our own understanding of what that means onto him because we are flawed. Right? We human fathers are not perfect. And so if we're projecting a very imperfect human father onto the character of God, then we've missed it. Right? And the character of God is so important for us to understand. If we miss that, if we mislabel or misidentify who God is, then it changes, radically changes everything about who we are. Um, I think it's vital. I think it's vital that we, we have a good understanding of who God is. And, and the enemy is doing everything the enemy can do to pervert our idea of who God is. And if we, I think one of the biggest things that we do is we take part of his character, we zoom in on part of who he is, and we, without balancing with the rest of who he is, and we end up with this very skewed view of him. We zoom in on one piece of God, and we just that's all we can think about is that one piece, that one character of God, and we don't think about all the other beautiful, amazing parts of who he is. And when you don't balance the whole thing, what you end up with is a very flawed view of God. And when you're perceiving God incorrectly, then you're going to interact with him incorrectly. You're going to end up interacting with others incorrectly. So what I want to do today is kind of go through um, three, um, really briefly, I'm going to try and do this super briefly, actually. Um, mislabels that I think we give God. When we zoom in on maybe part of his character or we project what we know of as a father onto who he is, and we're not taking the fullness of him into account. So these are like Father's Day themed mislabelings of who God is. And that's what I want to work through real quick. Is that cool? Cool? Not? Doesn't matter. You're here anyways. We might as well finish. All right. Um, so go ahead and hit me up with my first picture. I love this. I did a message similar to this with my youth a few months ago. And so I'm going to use some of the same pictures to kind of guide us through this. And when I did this first one, my youth just kind of looked at me blankly. They had no idea what I was talking about. Has anybody ever seen this, this picture before? I'm seeing a couple nods and a lot of blank stares. Okay, that's very, I'm used to that now. Um, I think one, one kind of misinterpretation of who God is, is that he's like the cool dad. You guys know who the cool dad is, right? Cool dad wears like the, like the roughed up flip-flops and like the cargo shorts and has like the backwards hat and he says bro a lot. And you love cool dad because he like lets you do stuff that your dad wouldn't let you do, right? He'll like play basketball with you and he'll probably like elbow you and, and, but you can't say anything about it because he's cool dad. Like he's cool dad and he lets you do lots of cool stuff and he's fun and engaging. And when I was growing up or if anybody here grew up, um, like early 2000s youth ministry, or maybe you worked um, in the youth ministry, you may have remembered the phrase, Jesus is my homeboy. Anybody remember that? Maybe? Yes? Okay. Yeah, I got three hands. So um, it, I think it was kind of this like 
social like um, rebellion against kind of the, the very rigid reverence that we grew up in when it came to the church. And there's this big phrase, this big kind of movement that happened called Jesus is my homeboy. He's my buddy. He's my pal. He's cool. He plays video games with me. Um, like he, he's like this guy I can hang out with. And I think that this kind of idea of who Jesus was or who God is, is not entirely wrong because I do think that God is a God of joy and a God of laughter, and a God of, of happiness. And I think that sometimes we can, we can, it's almost like we go too far on the other side and we feel like we have to be very rigid and, and have horrible, sad lives in order to be a follower of Christ. No, no, no. Like God is a God of joy. What did he say in John 10, 10, where he says, like the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I come to give you what? To give you life and life abundantly. I come to give you joy. I come to, to bring you peace, right? I think if we could like pull the curtains back and go behind the scenes in the Bible and watch Jesus interact with his disciples on like a day-to-day basis, I think a lot of us would be very surprised. I think what we would see is joy. I think we would see some laughter. Yeah, we're going to see some very serious moments, some crying moments, some tearful moments, some strong teaching moments, but I think we're also going to see joy. We're going to see happiness, and I think that's totally okay um, if boring is a word that you project onto God, then you're missing it. God is very much not boring. He's, he is joy. He is laughter. It comes from him. It's a part of his character. So I think it's important that we recognize that is a part of God, but at the same time, he's God, right? This is a big, powerful God that we're talking about. Um, he's not like me, He's very different than me. He's very above me. Um, in scripture, if any time that you notice somebody encountering God, encountering the presence of God, what do they always do? They're always like hitting the ground. They're scared. They're, they're woe is me. Um, Isaiah 6, one of my favorite passages that I somehow managed to sneak into every message I think I've ever preached, um, is where... Uh, you know, Isaiah sees this vision of God. And what does he see? Does he see God just hanging out, fist bumping people, playing video games? No, he sees God high and lifted up, seated on a throne. The train of his robe is filling the temple. Angels are praising him. Smoke's filling the room. Things are shaking. It's this big, big God. And what does Isaiah do in response? He's, he cries out, woe is me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Right, he immediately sees God for all of his big powerfulness, and, he's, and it reminds him of just how not good and not big and not powerful he is. Right, and there's that common theme that we see through Scripture. Elijah sees when God passes through, um, on the, and when Elijah's on the mountain and God passes through, what does he do? He like wraps his like face in a cloak because he can't even look upon God. When Moses hears God speaking to him through the burning bush, he takes his feet off, or his feet off. He doesn't take his feet off. That'd be so weird. <laughs> he takes his shoes off, takes his sandals off. He's like, I can't even stand here. Like this is holy ground. When people see God in scripture, they don't give him fist bumps, right? They recognize how big and powerful he is. And that's okay. That's good. Because I'm not just hanging out with my God, I'm following him. I'm committing my life to him. Um, and I don't want to commit the fullness of my life to just a guy that I could hang out with like a friend. If I'm going to commit my life to somebody, I want it to be somebody big and powerful who, who's got me, who's on my team, and who's fighting for me, right? Um, so let's not overlook the fact that God is all about joy and happiness and laughter, 
but let's also not belittle who he is and belittle his character because he is big and he is powerful and he takes sin very seriously, right? He takes our sin very seriously. He is very holy. And so cool dad, yeah, he's really cool, but he's more than just cool dad, right? Um, the next one on here, if we check this one out, uh, this is a, an image of, of God. Kind of see how he's, he's got the world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole. Should I do the whole thing? Nope. Oh, I'm hearing some snaps in the back. All right, Kyle, that's what we're going to close with. We're going to close with he's got the whole world in his hands. Except Kyle would do it and I'd start crying because it'd be amazing. It'd be, he's, so, he's so good. So dumb. Um, okay, so he, we have this idea of God who he's like, and I think a lot of people have this idea of God that he's big and he's powerful, like we just said, and he created everything and he created the world and he set it spinning and then he backed up and said, good luck, figure it out. Right, this very absentee version of God. Um, I was listening to a pastor fairly recently, and I honestly don't know who he is. He's really important, I'm sure, but I don't remember who it was. But he was kind of giving his manifesto on our, on our society today, on, on like modern society. And he, he said there's two main cultural shifts that have led us to where we are today. Um, the first thing that he named, obviously, was the rise in commercial technology, the idea that we all have cell phones. Right? He said one of the biggest changes that's brought us to where we are is that we all have cell phones. And you talk to anybody over the age of 30, and they'll tell you the problem with kids these days is the cell phones. And they're probably not wrong. Right? This is like a big deal. But the other thing that he mentioned, the biggest thing that he saw as changing us and shaping who we are as a culture was the increased acceptance of no-fault divorce and premarital sex in our society. And I thought it was interesting what he said about that. He said the result of that... The result of a culture that not only says it's okay to abandon your family, but kind of encourages it, is that it's resulted in an entire generation of people, of kids, living in fatherless homes, right? It's opened up these avenues to go have a family and then walk away from that family. Um, and I thought that was really interesting that he would label that as like one of the most important shifts in our culture. And I'm not going to get into too many like socio-political um, truths about fatherlessness in our culture, even though I do think that's an important thing for, our, for the church at large to address and to, to be vocal in. Um, but I think that not only is it the father who physically abandons and physically um, neglects his kids, that's the problem. I think there's a lot of absentee fathers who are living in the same house as their kids every day. The father who goes to work and then comes home and is very tired and just wants to kind of watch TV or go play golf or go hunting or do this or do that and is not actually engaged in the life of his kids. I think that's a huge deal. And because I think those kids are dealing with the same things and asking the same questions as the kids whose dads they haven't physically seen in years. They're asking, like, does he care? Does he know? Is, is he even a part of my life? Does he even want to be a part of my life? And I think that that is becoming more and more of a reality that so many kids are having to face. Um, the thing about God that's so cool one of my, probably my personal favorite things about God is that yes, he is super powerful and super big, but he is also very present in each of our lives, intimately present in each of our lives. What does scripture say? That he knit us together in our mother's wombs, that he knows how many hairs are on your head, that he has very specific plans 
for each of us. What did he say in Matthew 28, his final words to his disciples before he leaves? He says, and I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. He's very present in every little thing that we do. I love what Kyle was talking about earlier. I mean, super good about like, yeah, he takes care of the birds and the sparrows and the grass. Of course, he's gonna take care of us individually. Is he a big, powerful God who has so many big things to do? Yes, but he chooses to love specifically and individually each of us. And he is so intimately involved in our lives. And I think that that's something that really separates him from the other gods of other religions is like just the intimacy of his relationship. Go throughout scripture. All of scripture just points to God trying to have a relationship with his people, trying to get closer, closer to his people. Um, the, the tabernacle's not working, so we're gonna do a temple. The temple's not working, so I'm gonna send Jesus. Um, Jesus, it was awesome, and he goes up, and then what does he leave in his stead? His spirit to dwell within us at all times. Like he is so focused on being right with us. And I think the time that we struggle with this the most is probably when we go through tragedy. We've probably all been there. I know I have. When we go through difficult times and it's very easy to start asking those questions of like, is God even here? Does he even know? Does he even care? Or is he so big and he's out there doing his own thing and I'm just like this little person who he doesn't even realize that anything is happening and you're just letting all these big things happen, right? When you're going through tragedy, I think it's, those are the easiest times to start to question the presence of God. Um, Psalm 23 says a lot of amazing things. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because why? Because you're with me. Because you're fixing everything? No, not always. Um, because you're going to make it all exactly what I want it to be? No, not always. But you are with me, and you're present in my struggles, and you're carrying me. You may not always have everything you want, and you may not want everything that you have, but with the Lord, you're always going to have what you need, and he will always be there with you. And, and if you came in today in that time, in that season of difficulty, I, I just beg you and I plead with you to hold on to him. Hold on to the truth that he's there. Even when it doesn't feel like it, he is very much there and he's aware of what you're going through. And, and um, I love the song. I think we sang it last week. He's never failed and he's not gonna start now. <laughs> like he's never in human history ever failed and you're not gonna be the first time and first moment that he's gonna fail. Um, so hang on to those truths, hang on to that. And I think that's super important. And the problem with this, if we see God as this, as absent, it leads us to hopelessness, right? If God is so big and he's out there doing his own thing and he's just leaving me to my own stead, like, where's my hope? Our hope is in the Lord, our hope is in Jesus, and our hope is in the fact that he is intimately involved with us, super important. All right, one more and we'll be done. Hit me with it. Oh yes, this is a good one. Check out those eyebrows. Um, so we talked about cool dad and we talked about absent dad. Um, this is mean dad. Oh, the mean dad. Um, probably the number one most common misconception of who God is. This mean, harsh dad who's just ready to strike us down if we do anything that he doesn't like. And if I'm being very honest and transparent, I can relate to this a lot because this is probably me. 
Um, I, we, me and Stephanie have been talking a lot recently about just like our parenting styles and how, oh my goodness, they're so different. If I have any couples in the room, maybe you've experienced that. Like, I parent like this, but, but what? You're supposed to parent like this. And we're trying to figure that out. So we're in that process, which is a hard, but fun process. And um, what I've found about me personally is that my parenting style is drastically different than my actual personality. In general, my actual personality, like pretty chill, pretty low key, just hanging out, not a big deal. In high school, I was voted most down to earth. And I decided to make sure everybody knew, I gotta make sure everybody knows I was most down to earth. Just kind of low key, go with the flow, not a big deal. But when it comes to parenting, oh my goodness, I'm ready to go to war over anything. I mean, anything, I'm ready to lose it. I'm ready to make drastic changes. I'm ready to ship Hanley off to army school or whatever. Like, I am ready to, and, and luckily for me, Stephanie is full of grace, mercy, and love, and for me, as much as him, and she's able to rein me in. But I, I don't know if I have any dads or parents that are kind of like this. I mean, I'll come in to like wake him up. I'll be like, all right, Hanley, time to, time to wake up. Got to go to school. And he'll be like, no, I don't want to get up. And I'm like, What? What did you say? You don't want to get, you told me no? I'm like going in, waking up stuff, and you're like, he told me no. He said he's not going to, I'm like, he's grounded forever, and blah, 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 because he told me he's not getting up. Can you believe he would do that? And Stephanie's like, oh my goodness, chill. I'm like ready to go to war over anything. Or if he's like playing his little Nintendo, I'm like, all right, dude, turn, a t- like, turn that off, time to go to bed. If he doesn't turn that thing off in 0.32 seconds, I'm ready to take that thing and just throw it out the window, throw it in the trash, break it over my knee, really make a point. Like, no, when I say you turn off this, you do it immediately. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I am, it's amazing. Like, truly, it's amazing. It's, it's horrible, and it's not good, and I'm working on it. Don't judge my journey. Um, I, but I am so quick to anger. I'm so quick to action. And sometimes I think that that is done properly. Sometimes I think that that is done in in a correct, loving way, because we as parents, it is very important that we are disciplining our children. It's very important that we're guiding them, directing them. I believe that it's our job to kind of shape them and mold them into the people that God wants them to be. So I think there is a corrective nature to what we do. But for me, my flaw and the thing that I'm really working on is sometimes that's not really the case. Sometimes I'm just angry because I'm angry. And sometimes I want to discipline just to make a point, right? It's, it's not good, but it is, but it is what it is. Um, and, and the coolest thing about God is that he doesn't do this. The thing that separates him from all the other gods is that he loves. Like we said earlier, he knows us very intimately and he loves us. And everything that he does is done out of that love, He doesn't get angry just to get angry. He doesn't discipline just to prove a point. Everything that he does is out of righteous goodness. Um, I love that, uh, man, Kyle, man, he's just so good. It's so, it's so crazy how good he is. He was talking about like, hey, sometimes it's easy for us to live in that like guilt, to live in that bondage, to live in the shame of sin because we see God like this. We see him as this entity, this big powerful entity who's always angry, he's always setting rules, and he's just waiting for us to mess up so that he can strike us and tell us how bad we are and tell us how horrible we are. And then we just live in constant fear and, and we live in this bondage of fear and guilt and shame, and we start to see ourselves as like unworthy and horrible people. 
the beauty of God is he is perfectly loving and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness is undefeated and it's perfect. And he says, yeah, you are messed up. Yeah, you, you, do, you do have flaws, but I love you perfectly anyways. Um, and I think that's just like, that's an amazing thing about God. Does he take sin very seriously? Yes. Is he very, does, does he, is he holy and set apart from that? Absolutely. But he does it for our own good. Do your, do your parents ever tell you when you were growing up, they'd like tell you to do something, you'd be like, why? And they'd say, because I told you so. Anybody ever have that? Three people again. Same three people every time, though, so I love it. I, thank you, guys. Um, if you read any of like, these like, nuanced books about parenting, they'll always tell you that's a terrible thing to say. They'll always say, like, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to give reasons and rationales and blah, blah, blah. Um, but when I was growing up, my dad did that all the time. I'd be like, hey, dad, like, um, blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, because I told you so. And I would tell him, you know, I was an argumentative, horrible kid. So I was like, hey, like, that's not good enough for me. You can't tell me to do something just because you said so. And he would always tell me this. And I have it, like, it's, it's burned into my mind because I heard it a thousand times. He said, Nathan, if you were reaching your hand into a hole and I knew that there were snakes in there and I said, stop it, you just stop it. You don't ask me why. We don't have to have a conversation. You've got to stop it immediately because I'm trying to help you because I am trying to do what's in your best interest. Or if you're walking out in the street and I say, I say no, don't ask me why, just do it because what I'm saying is in your best interest. I think what he meant was because I told you so to him was a good enough reason because of where it's coming from and who it's coming from. It's coming from somebody who loves me and has my best interest in mind. And when he tells me to do something, he's not doing it just to do it or just to be angry or just to make my life terrible. He's doing it because he knows it's the best thing for me. And I think for God, maybe that's even more the case where God is saying, hey, when, if I'm, I'm setting some boundaries on your life, I'm setting some things that are going to help you, not hurt you, but help you. And I think it's easy for us to start like nitpicking at God of like, God, I don't really like this, this rule that you have. I really, you know, keeping the Sabbath day holy, that's kind of dumb. I think I'm going to not do that. Like, why would you? And, and he's like, no, 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 no. It's for your good. And that's awesome that we serve a God who is perfectly a good father. And that even the boundaries that he sets in our lives and the discipline that he gives us in our lives is not just to make our lives horrible and sad and miserable. He doesn't do what Nathan does where he makes, he makes a punishment just so that you'll feel it. No, he's here for our good so that we can live life more fully, more abundantly, right? So if we see God as this, we're missing out on the beauty of his love. All right, so cool dad, absent dad, and mean dad with the eyebrows. Um, in um, Mark, Mark 8, really fun story, and we'll end with this, about God is talking to his disciples, this is Peter specifically, um, and he asks, he asks him, he says, who do people say that I am? Right? We know that story about how he looks at me. He's like, hey, who do people say that I am? How do they identify me? What are the characteristics that they're projecting onto me? And, and um, his disciples reply, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, or some say you're Elijah, or, or some of the other prophets, maybe Moses. And, and Jesus stops, and he looks at them very specifically, Peter. He looks Peter in the eyes, and he says, but Peter, who do you say that I am. And I think at some point in each of our lives, we have to address that question. Who do you say 
that God is. Not who did your parents say that God is, not who does your life group leader say that God is, not who does the book that you're reading say God is, not who does your pastor say that God is, but who is God to you? If you have to define him, if you have to put characteristics upon him, who is he to you? And I wanna leave us with that today of like, who is our Father God to us very individually and specifically? And I think the natural follow-up to that is what parts of his character are difficult for you to accept or believe? What parts of God are hard for you to recognize and appreciate? Um, Maybe it's hard for you to see God as loving. And so what, as a result, you're living a life full of guilt and shame and it paralyzes your ministry because you can't minister to others because you're so bad yourself. Maybe you struggle to see God as just and you see him as just permissive and, and you're not living the life that you need to be living because you're not fully appreciating the weight of your own sin and your prayer today would probably more like, hey God, help me to understand the gravity of this and the bigness of you. Um, or maybe for you, maybe you struggle with the presence of God, the intimacy of God and you live a life full of fear and anxiety because you don't really know if God's gonna be there or not. You don't really know if he's gonna come through or not. And you live this, this life full of just anxiety where, where you're not sure if he's gonna come through or not. You're not sure if maybe, maybe he's here with me, maybe he's not. And so maybe that's like a struggle for you. So what is the part of God that's difficult for you to conceptualize? And I think that's a really good thing to kind of leave us with in thinking because the way that we see God changes the way that we see ourselves. Right? If we see God as harsh and punitive, we see ourselves as unworthy. If we see God as permissive, we see ourselves as better than. If we see God as absent, then we see ourselves as unwanted. So the way that we view God changes the way that we view ourselves. Um, the song, Good, Good Father, that we sing, and I'm not sure where Kyle is, but um, he'll be coming back up in a little bit. Uh, the song, Good, Good Father, that we sing has really two parts. It talks about God, it says you're a good, good father. That's who you are. Like God, you are a good father. And it talks about us. It says, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. To the core of my identity, to the core of my being, who am I? I'm simply loved by God. I'm a child of God, like the songs we sing today. And if I am if I identify and my very character and my very nature is that I am loved by God, it changes everything, right? We are loved by a perfect, yet big, yet personal God. And he loves me. He loves me. Despite everything that I do, he, he loves me. And that, that is who I am. Um, now this thing with the with uh, Hanley and our new little family that we've got right now has been really hard. We've had some nasty battles. We may look like a nice, cute family, but man, if you could pull the curtains back over the last three months, you'd see some tough battles. If I'm being honest with you guys. It's some, some very difficult, emotional, personal battles that are going on with our family, with me specifically, of how to, not just how to be a husband, not just how to be like a father, but how do you be like a stepfather? And how does that work? 
and what does it mean and what does it not mean? How do we interact? It's been really hard. And, um, and I don't know, if I'm being honest with you, I really don't know when I'm dead and gone and he's grown, I don't know what he's gonna remember. And I don't know what he's gonna care about. Um, I don't know that he's gonna remember or care that I took him to the bathroom and taught him how to use a urinal. Um, I don't know if he's going to remember or care that I made pancakes for him or that I um, played superheroes with him hours on hours on hours. I don't know if he's gonna care or remember um, that when he had a nightmare one night, I'd, I would go in and sleep with him to make sure he feels better. I don't know. But what I hope that he remembers, what I hope that he takes away is that I loved him, right? Ultimately, that's what matters. That's my job. My job is for, for him to know that he was loved by me. In the same way that God is saying to each of us, I love you. I love you. You are loved by me. That is your identity. I love you. Um, fathers love your kids. Moms love your kids. Grandparents love your grandkids. Because why? Because, because God loves you. And he's given you the opportunity and the chance to do that to others. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.